see heroes in the faith. I'm of particular mindset right now that, uh, and I've said this in recent weeks, that one of the things we need in this country is a common enemy. I didn't necessarily mean this, but nonetheless, we have to eradicate something that is rising up in the body of Christ because of distraction and deception and division. And what is that? It is one of the most dangerous things that can come against the church of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't do so obviously. It slithers in, takes residence, and like a little bit of leaven, it works through the whole batch of dough. And what is that? It is indifference. I want to go through some heroes of the faith in the weeks ahead to get us on point for what it is God is calling us to do in terms of our passion for the gospel, to feed the world that is currently in a gospel famine, and to do so with zeal. And to may the zeal of the Lord be our strength in that process. I want to challenge you through prayer and fasting, through our actions, to eradicate any indifference that may exist in this congregation because we play an important role locally, regionally, and around the world. We are a people who have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years in the ministry of Ukraine, and I just know it's gonna rise up for the glory of God. Many things around the world are being affected and impacted by what happens in this room. And we can ill afford to be people who are indifferent or lulled to sleep or not discerning or thinking critically about what's going on in the world. We should be the wisest people in the world because we reverence and fear the Lord. Amen? So I'm going to try to help us get on that road. So uh, being heroes of the faith, you would think, okay, here he goes. We're going to have some kind of message today on uh, maybe George Mueller, maybe Bonhoeffer. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe uh, Spurgeon, maybe Moody, maybe Graham. No, today's message is about a hero of the faith with the last name Klein, first name Elizabeth. Memorial service we had yesterday. I see her in many ways still able to teach us something with her life this morning that I feel is heroic, that does eradicate indifference that promotes endurance, mercy, and compassion, and a zeal for worship. So I want to talk to you today about one of our own, who's not parked on the third or fourth pew back there in a wheelchair today, but is dancing in heaven. What do we take from this life, and how can we see even one among us, the humblest among us, become a hero of the faith? I start with a little bit of an overview of her life, and then we're going to get right into the scripture. She lived 66 years, probably had juvenile onset multiple sclerosis, really began to take hold in her at age 35, had been in these mountains 18 to 20 years, most of which in one or two different rooms of the Fidelia Eckerd Center, less than a quarter mile from here as a crow flies. She was perceived among us as probably the one that had the greatest need, but in reality, she probably met more needs than other people than anyone who's ever attended church here. If you knew her, and if you knew her circumstances, 
and you knew her response to those circumstances, it will affect you for the rest of your life, and that's my goal today. Yes, I do see her as a hero of the faith. She was a graduate of Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, many years ago, and took an interest in weaving, of all things, after graduation, and came to the Waynesville area to understand better the Native Americans and their desire to weave and the way in which they did it. And the only thing I can say about that strange thing to move to the mountains for is that woman was woven into people's lives. And when she was woven into your life, there was no extricating it. She was there to stay, and so were you. Some of the people of this church became woven into her life, and you know you're not the same, and you also know you came into her life and you stayed there at a particular time when you needed her most in your life, not when she needed you. It was a mutual thing. But if you wanted to disciple somebody, if you wanted to stretch somebody, if you wanted to expand and multiply their sense of gratitude and purpose and love for worship, then don't be surprised if you look back at the time in your life when she came into your life, that's God's intended end. And he did that through her often. And that's what makes, in my estimation, her a hero of the faith. I had one particular conversation with her that lasted, I think, about more than an hour in Mission Hospital one night late it was dark. I don't think I got home till like 11. And I thought, good for you. I began to see behind her malady, the imprisonment of her own body. And I looked into her heart and I thought, my goodness. She has more to give this ministry than I do. And it would do us well today to look at the couple of things that really distinguished her and her walk under her circumstances so that we can better understand the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ. She died on January 30th of this year. We thought she would die on Christmas Eve. She probably, quite frankly, would have preferred to die on Christmas Eve. We'll get to that in a moment. But two passages, James 5, verse 11, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Let me take it one step at a time. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Who's we? When there is someone among us who hurts, we all should hurt on some level. We should be aware of one another's pains. We should, Galatians 6 and 2, carry one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. We are meant to be in a community, a corporate context, a spiritual family whereby we're known, we know others and we're known by others so that those difficulties that we endure, maybe not everyone's aware of them on the same level, of course not, but there are those among us in the church and many people miss this so valuable thing, there's such a value is to be involved in a church where you're known and you know others and your burdens are carried by others. She had a burden. We, those who really knew what it was, who were afforded the luxury of knowing her pain, her misery, her frustration, those people will call them the we. It says, James, the first book written in the New Testament, and did we count, we reconcile, we take an accounting, those who really knew her pain, and the limitations 
and her desire to walk, to stand, to dance, to sing at the top of her lungs, to be understood, to walk down that aisle, not be wheeled, to walk back out, not be wheeled. Those people who really knew took an account. They reconciled something about her life. As James says, and they counted her blessed. They counted her joyous. They counted her favored. They counted her approved. Uh, to take a superficial, instantaneous accounting of her situation would not get you to the end, the true conclusion. The real mathematic problem that you account when you look at Elizabeth Klein was that at first glance, she couldn't, had every right to be miserable and complain as much as she wanted to. What makes her a hero, though, is when you bind down deeper into her life, she was blessed. She was really blessed. I'm not at liberty to share personal conversations about things that happened in her life, but suffice to say, in that one conversation that night at Mission Hospital, we talked a lot about Deborah, the judge. We talked a lot about the way she led. We talked about Elizabeth's study of her life. And if you look closely at Judges chapter four and chapter five, and you look at how she made her decisions and how she moved, you'll see that Deborah was used to have an impact on Elizabeth as Elizabeth is having an impact on us. How so, you say? Deborah was a warrior. That in and of itself is not but half the equation. What's the other half? There are many warriors. There are prayer warriors. Some of you are warriors. You're evangelistic warriors. You're warriors for your family. You're warriors for your children. You're warriors for your nation, for your country, for your community, for your church. There's a lot of warriors. But this particular warrior is a little different. Like Deborah, Elizabeth was a worshiping warrior. Her enemy was overcome, was slayed, was thwarted, was put down, was stymied, was silenced by her worship. If you're gonna pick anybody in a congregation, in a community, in a city, who, who had, a, had a reason to worship, it wouldn't be her. Didn't add up. But you don't reconcile heroes of the faith with what visually adds up. You look deeper into the heart and you find that she overcame her malady, the imprisonment of her own flesh to her soul. She overcame living in the same one or two rooms for 18 years and one particular place for 18 years. Here's a woman who worshiped and her worship became a weapon. Whether she knew it or not, I do not know. Was she the best singer? Heavens no. Could I personally understand every word she said or sang? No. If she was a preacher, would she be eloquent? No. What she lacked in eloquence, she made up for in spiritual tenacity. Did she measure herself or compare or contrast herself to what other people could say or do or how they would say or do it or to what other people looked, to how pretty other women were or how nice things they had to wear? No, none of that. She resolved within the confines of her own flesh 
that did nothing but more than narrow down on her soul each and every day as she went through her life. That she would have people in her life she could minister to in her way, in her time, and she would do that through worship. I, re- I come into the office often, and for like an hour, on the phone, on the speakerphone with Melanie, reading scripture, reading devotions, and listening to them both sing. Feeling the conviction that I was more interested in myself and getting my list done for the day than my worship. She was a worshiping warrior. And the worship only intensified and only became even more authentic and heartfelt as the situations around her grew grim. Hebrews 10 and 25, do not forsake the assembly as some are in the habit of doing. I remember she fell, she hurt herself, she broke her hip, they said she was gonna die any minute. I don't know, that went on for like six months. She'll never get out of the chair. She'll never, she'll never be able to go to church again. Remember that? That went on. I don't know. Those of you know her, it just, I, and I kept saying, yeah, right. Yeah, you got that right. Right. The day she was wheeled back in here, I was not the least bit surprised. Why? But she could fall out of a chair. She could break a hip. She could sever a femur bone. It doesn't matter. But she would worship her way back to where she wanted to be. She would sing and make melody in her heart to God. She would sing out loud in her room. She was a worshiping warrior. Though she had little to no reason to celebrate. And that, by my definition, makes her, to me, a hero of the faith. She couldn't go to church for like six months. And she wanted to do that more than anything. We live in a world where people don't go to church for six months and want to do anything but. She wanted to celebrate what God was doing in her life around the people that she shared her life with. That's a hero of the faith. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. What words? Think of your life for a moment. Just think of your life. Just the pictures we saw of her life here on the mountain, I realized, yeah, that one's no longer with us, and yes, that person, Neil Van Hoogen, he's gone on to be with the Lord, and John has gone on to be with the Lord, and people die all the time. And I think to myself, are they aware, and did they see the end intended by the Lord in their life. What is the end, the end game, the end result, the end conclusion that God is seeking to bring to pass in your life? What is the seen end intended with your life? It's different for all of us. And sometimes it's not until you look back after you've perished that you understand. We had someone here on the staff who said, I never... After the service yesterday, he sent me a text. He said, I've not been to many memorial services before in my life, and I didn't know Elizabeth Klein. I'm too new here. That time together was anointed, and the witness of her life and the witness of the Spirit in her life, though I never met her, 
caused me to sit at the end of that service and just think this to myself as the Lord spoke to him. She walked out her faith well. What is the intended end of your life for you and your children, for your family, for your marriage, for your church, for your community? What is the seen intended end that God is bringing you to? Because as soon as we understand what that is, our priorities change, our decisions change, our time, how we use our time changes. What is the intended end? And for some of us, it may cause us to need more endurance than other things. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. How can anyone see God as compassionate and merciful when one's hands are twisted, they remain in pain, and their physical vitality is diminished daily. How is God compassionate and how is he merciful? God's intended beginning was never for any of us. Never once was God's intended beginning for any of us to have a disease or a sickness or a malady or a loss or grief or guilt or shame or remorse or bitterness or unforgiveness. Never was it God's intent. He was compassionate and merciful to give humankind an opportunity to live as he lived, unencumbered, free, loving, transparent. It was we who messed up that process. The compassionate and merciful God must minister to us in this human dilemma, to us who are broken in fraction, lying scumbags, all of us. in comparison to the righteousness, the holiness, the, in, the, the without spot or blemish, the holiness of God. All of our righteousness is but filthy rags. We're all the same. But he's merciful and compassionate in our current state of sin by providing a son who took on himself more pain, more imprisonment of his body and soul, and took within himself the sin of the world. That makes him compassionate and merciful. She saw that. She didn't blame God or withhold praise of God because of her current situation or the decline of her future situation. What she did is worshiped him because he was worthy of worship, not for what he could do or would do or had done or wouldn't, wouldn't do in her life. He alone, by himself, was worthy of worship. And when she could focus on that, he became magnified, he became exalted, and her situation became puny, manageable, inconsequential, knowing that one day it would not exist. One of her favorite songs, and a song that played on the day that she died, Psalm 34, 1 through 10, I will bless the Lord at all times. Didn't matter what room she was in, what tests they were doing on her, how she was being prodded or poked, how she sat alone, how she was quarantined for months, didn't matter. Didn't matter what God was doing or would do or didn't do, she just decided she would bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Continually praising, continually declining, and rarely, if ever, complaining as a hero of the faith. Wow. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. She had no reason in and of herself, no skill, really, no outward visible attribute in which she could actually boast or be proud. She just was herself and figured, I'll just boast in the Lord. Wow. No self-grandizing agenda, no selfishness, no need for this or that, just praise. Boasting in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Was she humble because she was humbled? I don't think so. I think she was humbled because she had within her her closest friend. Sometimes the only one she could ever speak with. Sometimes the only one that would ever listen to her. Sometimes the only one that was accessible. The Spirit of God. Jesus himself. I no longer call you servant, he said, I call you friend. Because we have discourse, because we often talk, because you always listen. And even when you hurt, I'm there to listen to you. That's Jesus Christ in a personal, intimate way in a person's life. When he's sometimes, he's all she had. Sometimes I wonder, how much better would we be off if we didn't have so many distractions and so many things to do and so many this, so many that? What if we were just brought to the point where we just boasted in him and he's all we really had? Sometimes I think we need to create those opportunities in our life where we get away from everybody and everything and every expectation and we just sit and be still and know that he is God and converse with him. She was forced into that. And I think sometimes we need to force ourselves into that. Even if you call a fast. See, that? oh, the pastor called a fast. Well, look at it on the surface, and what do you see? Well, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it. I'll probably bow out halfway through. Then I'm going to feel guilty. No, look at it this way. How is it that you find yourself, by the decisions that you make in the month of March, where you are afforded the luxury of being alone with Jesus Christ? The power of the Holy Spirit. No one's asking you for anything. You're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. You're just a human being instead of a human doing. That's restful. Take advantage of these opportunities that are intentional, corporate, and say to yourself, you know what? I need to be alone with God as she was. That, in some respects, is, a, is an incredible curse if you look at it. But in another way, it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. She saw it as a blessing. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Certainly, she, 35 years with this disease, and maybe she started out praying for healing and release. I guess you accept it after a while. I guess you don't know anything else, but I guess you have difficulty remembering when you didn't. Maybe you don't remember walking, learning, reading. Nonetheless, she would magnify the Lord, and she would do it with someone. I guess there's about 10 people or so who became her closest friends, and then most of them in this church. 
And I think you could say one thing you're very sure of, you're not the same because of your relationship with her. She magnified the Lord with you. She didn't do things alone. She sought to bring other people into her worship. And let us exalt his name together. There it is, the inclusivity of bringing someone else along in your walk. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He heard me. It would seem he didn't hear when she asked for healing. It would seem that he didn't hear when she asked for riches. It seemed as though he didn't hear when she wanted relief. But it does seem as though, whether she asked for it or not, what he did hear was, you want me near, and I want to be in you and overflow out of you. I want to give you a taste that you can see what it means to be not in the mortal body, but the immortal reality of eternity. He gave Elizabeth a down payment, an earnest money deposit on what it means to be eternally in fellowship with Christ before she ever died. Now, she did have to wait. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I don't know how she went on as far as she, well, she went on because she waited, actively waited. Not idly, but worshipfully. She waited. That was her way of, of waiting. And she wanted probably to go on Christmas Eve and not January 30th. They mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Partake of this. Eat this. Acquire a taste for this. You know, she may have been at times the only person on this mountain that wasn't distracted or otherwise involved in some other activity. In the middle of the night, she may have been the only one crying out to God at various times. And it certainly didn't catch him off guard. Taste and see. Acquire a taste for my fellowship. And let's make that the most important thing in your life. Not your clothing, not your looks, not your eloquence, not your possessions, not your illness. Just you. As Thomas said yesterday, if you really spent any time after a service looking to her eyes, or her blue eyes, you'd see that there was something resilient in there that wasn't human. She wasn't putting on an act. She wasn't laughing or smiling when she didn't really want to. She somehow had the, as she said, the joy of the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I haven't known too many people in my life who can probably say this in earnest, but I'm saying she may have been one of them. She could have been without more things than any person I've ever met, but at the same time, she could have said, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. She had the friendships from people in this church. Basically, this church was her family. She had the friendship of people in her church. She had a God who would be accessible to her any moment of any day. And though she lacked so many things, I don't think she lacked for anything good. The Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was unique. 
The winner was not the runner who finished first. It was a runner who finished with his torch still lit. I want, to run all, I want to run all the way with the flame of my torch still lit for him. Many people succeed today and they come in first, but they're so burnt out. They lack the friendships and the family relationships that they really, really wanted and needed all their whole entire life. And they have success, but they lack. Their light went out. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. What do we take away from a psalm, a verse in James, a life? Well, if you really want to know, listen to the words of this song as you sing it. And you'll get the intended end for what God wants for your life, first and foremost. The chief end of man, the chief end of women, is to worship God, regardless of circumstances, independent of results, despite riches or lack. To live their life without arguing or complaining, but to be grateful This is what makes us distinctively different than anyone else on the face of the earth. We have direct access to the Spirit of God. And when that becomes our priority, not anything else, we lack for nothing. We long really for nothing. This is the way I see it. It's my weird way of looking at things sometimes in Scripture. January 30th, Elizabeth put off mortality, took on immortality, and was absent from the body and immediately present with the Lord. She joined a worship service in person that she had joined from a distance many times over. It was a light show Lightning and thunder, sea of glass, clear as crystal, multiple thrones, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. They were singing in a language she never heard before but knew what every word meant. There was euphoria. There were beast creatures created to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who reigns in all the earth. And she walked into that. Let me say it again. She walked into that. She probably stood in the back, probably forgot what it was like to go to a worship service without someone wheeling you in, opening the van door. And I don't think Jesus stopped the service, but I, I think it gave him incredible joy to wave her up to the front past the cabillions of people so that she would have been afforded an opportunity to do a little jig, <laughs> to lift her hands, both of them, to say amen as she often did, and to sing unrestricted, yet undone, unencumbered, but undone. 
serving her compassionate and merciful God, though he chose in his sovereignty to only free her in eternity, not in this life. Do I have any problems? Do you have any problems? And if you do, and if I do, are those problems bigger than him? The answer is no. But what does our life flesh out? What does our heart flesh out? He must become bigger than our lack. He must be fuller than our emptiness. He must be magnified and exalted above any and every challenge we face. And when he is, then we're all heroes of the faith. We're all Spurgeons and Muellers and Bonhoeffers. We're all in the eyes of God, a God who has no favoritism, a hero of the faith. Raise your children to magnify the Lord. Magnify him yourself. Love him unconditionally as he loves you unconditionally and no strings attached. And you'll find at the end of your life, through you, he, my friend, brought to pass the seen, intended end of why he created you. Whatever you got in your tank, stand and worship him and empty it and let him fill us back up again. For we're all heroes of the faith. In response to the word we've heard preached this morning and the enduring legacy of Elizabeth and the testimony that she gave all of us, we are going to sing Psalm 34 this morning. We'd love to invite you to join us in worship as you feel led.
Prayer warriors, your, your worship has to exceed your intercession. Career people, your worship has to exceed your diligence. Evangelist, your worship has to exceed your evangelism. We have to worship him in spirit and in truth. There is zero room, zero welcome for indifference in the church of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest oxymoron you ever heard. There has to be a zeal and a passion to worship in each of our bellies to affect the globe, to affect the world, to affect the person. It has to be. Out of all that we do, anything authentic comes out of a worshiper. The likelihood of something inauthentic coming out of us is because we haven't worshiped. You say, I haven't done that before. Time has come. I'm not a singer. The time has come. Go stand on a rock. Go sit in the forest. Go drive in your car. Fill your home with praise and worship. The time has come to stop looking at the world and wondering how helpless we are and become worshiping warriors. Abandon to the worship to show our children and our spouses what it means to worship, to sing, to live in the cause of Christ. Then we will taste and see something we have yet to taste and see, the magnification, the exaltation of Jesus Christ and the coming down of strongholds. There it is. You say your prayers aren't answered. Are they preceded by worship, adoration, affection? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Put everything aside but your worship. It is first and foremost. It is the most warranted, the most needed, the most effective warfare you'll ever fight. And do it on another's behalf until they know to do it themselves.